Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. By a show of hands, who's a, a little, just a little, sick and tired of hearing the words guidelines, mandates, regulations, law? Well, it's okay. It's a safe space. Relax. We're not recruiting a secret militia. We're just practicing honest confession. Anyone had enough of, of waiting week after week to find out what you are and are not allowed to be doing? Don't get me wrong. I'm complied with every last one of them, and, and we're going to continue to because we're not fully past this thing, but anyone else have a moment or two where you wanted to just yell out, enough already? Enough already. Yeah, let's, let's make that our corporate prayer of lament and confession. On three, everyone yell out, enough already. One, two, three. Enough already. Amen. Laws, ordinances, guidelines, regulations, they have a purpose, right? At times, they're desperately needed, but they can only get you so far. Track with me here. At best, right, the only power law has is to change behaviors, right? Which, as we said, is important if behaviors needed to be changed to keep people from, from stealing each other, hurting each other, infecting each other. But if the only reason for the change in behaviors is a law, then if the law or associated punishment disappears, the behaviors often just return. So the question is, what on earth can go deeper, can go beyond momentary change of behaviors and actually change the heart, the soul, the whole person? What may contain some of the positive benefits of law and yet be so much more. Anyone? Hint, it's Pentecost. Spirit. Breath, fire, sparkle, essence, energy, spirit. Now I'm going to take us on a bit of a, a Bible journey this morning. I'm going to hold up two different stories that took place 1,500 years apart as we look for similarities and differences, as we look for spirit. And so the next 10 minutes is going to take a little bit of work on your part as listeners. But what I promise is that if you make it through the first 10 minutes, we're going to have a, an honest and direct conversation that could change everything. Enough of a cliffhanger to, cliffhanger to keep you interested. All right. First, our first story is from Acts chapter 2. And we pick up as the disciples are gathered together in Jerusalem, waiting just as Jesus told them to. Let's read. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. And we're going to pause for a second. Alrighty, I know you're going to be here a while. Because the word Pentecost needs a little explanation. You may have been taught that, that this Pentecost story, reading that's the first Pentecost, but it's really like the 1500th 
Pentecost. Pentecost comes from the Greek word Pentecoste, which just means 50. And it's the Greek name for an ancient Jewish feast called the Feast of Weeks, which is always celebrated 50 days after Passover. So it's 50 days since Passover, 50 days since the Last Supper, and people from all over have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, to celebrate the Feast of Weeks as they have for centuries upon centuries. Let's jump back into our story. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So something just happened. The disciples, who are now referred to as apostles, right, because they've graduated from student to teacher, well, they're waiting in an upper room like Jesus told them to, and all of a sudden, wind, fire, energy, spirit is upon them and has empowered them, and we keep reading. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, when they heard this sound, the crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native language. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How can each of us hear them speaking in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the regions of Libya, bordering Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we get it. My goodness, we got it. There were people from all over. Everyone, 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 super progressive, really inclusive. We got it. So everyone's here, and we continue reading. How then can we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own language? They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them and said, I think they've had too much wine. And Peter stood up with the eleven apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Right, you'll notice Peter didn't say the apostles aren't drunk, as you suspect. They'd never do something like that. Instead, he says, maybe with a grin, the apostles aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's still early. Right, come back at 5 and maybe we'll partake in some bread and wine. If you know what I'm saying. Sorry, I know it's a little sacrilegious. Please don't fire me. The Pentecost joke? Dad joke? No? So Peter ensures the diverse crowd that they've not been drinking and that there's something even more exciting happening among them. And Peter begins to preach. He delivers the first legit sermon, and you know it was a legit sermon because after recording the first 500 words, 
In the 40th verse, Luke simply says, and with many more words, he testified to them and encouraged them. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. And those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community that day. It's our first story. So summary of today's passage. 50 days after Pentecost, God makes visible the gift of the Spirit and empowers the apostles. Despite initially thinking they were drunk, the Spirit also invigorates this crowd and brings 3,000 people to a place of, of personal transformation and new life. Pentecost, my friends, it is a party in the streets. All right, let's hold on to that story, because we are going to take a 1,500-year blast to the past. Let's jump to the very first Pentecost, the very first Feast of Weeks. I want to go back in time and see what happened 50 days after the first Passover. You with me? So, if you remember from our extended dive into the book of Exodus last year, the Passover was the night that death passed over the Israelite homes and led to their exodus, their freedom from Egyptian slavery. The very next morning, the whole lot of them headed out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, and 50 days later, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai receiving the law. And the people, if we're honest, if you remember, they were an absolute mess. Right? They, they are complaining. They're whining about not having enough. They, they want autonomy. They want to be self-reliant. And there are some toxic voices that cause leaders and people to begin worshiping the wrong thing, the, the golden calf. Meanwhile, Moses is on the top of the mountain. There's wind, lightning, energy, spirit. Moses is illuminated, enlivened. He's literally glowing from exposure to the presence of God. And with him, God offers tablets, the law, to, to shape the communal behaviors of the people. Moses comes down the mountain, and what did he see? To no one's surprise, he finds a disaster. Right? He's angry. He smashes the tablets, grinds it up in the drinking water, makes the people drink it, and then maybe you remember the gruesome detail. He had several of the people executed. Any guess or any remember how many? 3,000. 3,000. It rings a, a bell with this morning's story, right? The result of the second story re it results in the death of 3,000 people. The result of, of the first story of the coming of the Spirit it results in 3,000 people finding new life. Public service announcement. It's kind of hard to follow the execution of 3,000 people, but next week we're beginning a new sermon series called In the Wilderness, and we're going to we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to pick up with those people at the foot of Mount Sinai, and, and we're going to travel for seven weeks through the book of Numbers. And, and the story does get better. It does get better than that moment, I promise. So we have Mount Sinai. Fifty days after Passover, God delivers the law to the Israelites, stone tablets containing rules and regulations that are intended to, right, to guide the community's behavior. 
that they might live with purposeful distinction and reflect God's love everywhere they go. Then Moses comes down the mountain. What does he see? An absolute mess. Parties, idols, the people are drunk. He grinds up the tablets, makes the people drink it, and then has 3,000 of them executed. 1,500 years later, the disciples are waiting in the upper room for God's presence, and in comes flaming tongues, a rushing wind, settling on them as the spirit. When they exit the upper room, they're met by a crowd who think they're the drunk ones. However, instead of 3,000 people being executed, the spirit's contagious. It passes from one to the next. It starts a fire in the soul that transforms all that it touches, and 3,000 people are brought to life that day. Coincidental parallels? I don't, I don't think so. The law was not the end game. It, it was never the final plan in the spiritual development of the people. We often refer to the Bible as progressive revelation of God, meaning you've got to read the whole thing because it builds upon itself, because, because we talk about a still-speaking God who's speaking today. The very first Pentecost, we witnessed the giving of the law, the rejection of God, the death of 3,000. Today's Pentecost, we witnessed the giving of the Spirit, the presence of God, and the rebirth of 3,000. Friends, you made it through the tough part of the sermon, and so did I. You made it through the hard work portion. Now let's, let's talk. First, I want to clue you into something. 95% of the time when I'm up here telling stories, talking, I try to address like the human condition, right, to elevate wisdom of the text that might speak to our lives directly, to, to your lives. This week, I want to talk about the church, like the institution of the church a little. And I'm going to do that, one, because the Pentecost was the church's birthday. It's when this whole church experience is kicked off. And two, I think there's a deeply important word for our church and many churches in here. Well, I still hope there are some personal takeaways. Let's talk about the church for a second. Have any of you ever experienced a religious institution that seemed to be guided more by rules, regulations, traditions, and laws than by the spirit? Have any of you ever been confronted by a moment in worship, a moment in a church meeting, a moment in faithful community where it felt like people were, were making things harder than they needed to be, making things more exclusive than they needed to be, more restrictive than they needed to be, more dramatic, more legalistic than they needed to be? You don't have to raise your hands because we, we know you all have. Like the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, have you ever been around other church folk who were constantly complaining, who were always whining about not receiving enough, who de demanded autonomy, longed to be self-reliant? Have you ever experienced toxic voices that are always trying to convince people to set up idols, to worship the wrong stuff? Please don't raise your hand. Once again, if you've been around church long enough, we all know you have. And here's the real question. Have you ever, and I mean ever, witnessed one of those settings grow, expand, catch fire, thrive? Have you ever been drawn into one of those moments with, with energy and excitement? Of course not. 
right? Those, those moments they die, and they die quickly. Law might control behavior, right? It might even give the facade of a healthy community if bad behaviors are particularly well controlled, but it will never catch fire, right? Legalism leads to death. Spirit catches fire. Here's a good one for you. At my buddy's old church in Richmond, Virginia, their council had to assemble a task force to look into whether or not it was theologically appropriate to applaud during a worship service. Then they were tasked to write an insert in the bulletin detailing why in almost every situation it is in fact not appropriate to applaud in a service. Law or spirit, my friends? It's funny, right? But it's so not funny all at the same time. So what does a spirit-filled community look like? I'm glad you asked. My friends, let's go back and read the final verses of Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read this slowly because it paints, it paints a picture of, of the type of church I think the world needs more of. So as we just finished reading in verse 42, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community that day. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. And the Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. Come on. You can't tell me that that simplistic description of an early spirit-filled community doesn't sound mighty attractive. right? You can kind of get a sense of how such a loving, familial, simple, spirit-filled community could catch fire and spread. And you hear some of the parallels. The, the voice of complaint is replaced with, with giving thanks always. The voice of scarcity is replaced with abundance. The voice of autonomy and self-reliance is replaced by communal sharing and accountability. The toxic voices are replaced by the voices of the apostles, the voices of spiritual guides with whom they study and pray. It's so simple. It's so simple, and yet how many religious institutions have modeled themselves after the law-oriented people wandering in the wilderness and the freedom of the spirit-filled community in Acts chapter 2? Family of God, law may feel good as we get to check things off our religious list to justify our positions of power, our claims of worthiness, but that is literally all they'll ever be, a box to check. 
The spirit is a breaker of boxes. The spirit is an invitation to stop measuring your worthiness, to stop looking for a spiritual silver bullet, to stop needing to justify why your church is worth going to. The spirit is an invitation to new life in which you're already good, just as you are, and it's an invitation to start living as if you believe the same was true about everyone around you. Friends, if we want this community or any community to catch fire, if we want to be led by the Spirit to the places that the Spirit is ready for ignition, we have to shift our physical and emotional resources away from vocal complaints of law-centric systems and people towards the quiet voices of those who are actually seeking the Spirit. On this Pentecost and every Pentecost, we need to recommit to, to ending, the, ending the pandering to law and instead jump all the way into the life of the Spirit. Let's blow this thing up. Now, let's, let's sit back, enjoy some bread and wine or some s'mores and lemonade, and watch the, the Spirit slowly catch fire, not to our own glory, but to the glory of God, the infinite, the source, the divine lightning rod that's already within. Family of God, happy Pentecost. Amen.